Hey, pals. Thanks for listening to The Big Listen. I want to tell you about a new way to get your news each morning. Up first is the morning news podcast from NPR. So just give them 10 minutes or so and you will get a sense of the stories and big ideas of the day. Politics, science, the economy, maybe some culture thrown in there too. What you really need to know and why it matters. So start your day with Up First, weekday mornings by 6 a.m. Eastern Time on the NPR One app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Before we start, how's about you go review us in iTunes? Seriously, just go to iTunes and let us know what you think. It really does help other very attractive listeners, such as yourself, find the show. Here is a recent five-star review from Sue P42. She writes, quote, my dog loves your podcast, end quote. The Big Listen, great for pets and their people. Woof. Now, let's start the show. Every Wednesday afternoon, a crew of middle and high school age girls rolls into the Lower East Side Girls Club in Manhattan. Hey, everybody come on in. Some are chatty, some are buried in their phones, and some are exhausted from a very long day at school. The girls' club has classes on everything. Astronomy, photography, and gardening, to name a few. They also have a class on podcasting, which, let's be real, I could probably use. I can hear you now. I can hear you now. The girls' club is home to WGRL, the program's official podcast. Three, two, one. Welcome to WGRL. This radio interview is brought to you by the Lower East Side Girls' Club. The girls do everything, hosting, editing, and mixing each episode. And they get great guests like comedian Michelle Buteau. So we're going to ask you questions. Perfect. And yeah, so just feel comfortable. Okay. I feel very comfortable. You guys are very cute. We were interviewing her and then like the more questions that we asked her, the more it got deeper. And then we ended up like just talking about like different wacky foods and ice creams. And it was just like super, super fun. That's my new pal, Amarique. She's 13, and she is one of the 10 or so girls who produce WGRL. She's sitting in WGRL's control room, which is a vintage Airstream trailer retrofit for the podcaster's purposes. And seriously, professionals would kill for this setup. There are so many buttons here, by the way. There are like 10,000 buttons in front of you. Well, we pretty much only use like a few of them. Yeah, we only use at least these six. Yeah. Or eight at the most. Amarique's buddy in the control room is 11-year-old Madison. She's really into the engineering side of WGRL. Do you like it? Yeah, it's fun. Why? Because I'm learning a new thing every Wednesday, and, like, I can stick it in my brain easily. <laughs> <laughs> what, do you have, like, a hole in there, and you just, like, <laughs> and just slap that in there? I'm Lauren Ober, and from WAMU and NPR, this is The Big Listen, the broadcast about podcasts. Each week on The Big Listen, we introduce you to podcasts you might not have ever heard of, and we give you the inside scoop on shows you already love. Madison and Emmerich live in the Lower East Side, which is one of New York City's biggest and most diverse neighborhoods. It's also one of the poorest. The Girls Club provides opportunities for skill building that the kids wouldn't get elsewhere. Kelly Webb runs the podcast program there. You know, we want to get girls, especially before people tell them that they can't, they're not technical or they can't do it, you know. So if you're interested in it, cool, do it. And the girls are definitely into the podcast. 
Okay, so you're the engineer. Yeah, pretty much. Like you're in charge of the show. Kind of. We just watch the levels yeah. and make sure that there's like no like distortion or anything like mm. that. So if it sounds like garbage, it's your fault. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just kidding. It won't sound like garbage. It'll be great. We're going to hear more from the girls of WGRL in a bit. But first, another lady who has something to say. Tally Abacassis made documentary films before taking a break to raise her son. When she decided to go back to work, she documented her journey in a podcast called First Day Back. I couldn't figure out how to balance being a new mom and leaving the kids all day to get back into my career. My head was not there. Making my kids food and reading them books and schlepping them to the park just felt like what I was supposed to be doing. And so without any real plan, I put my career to the side. But in season two of the show, Abacassis turns away from telling her own story to focus on another woman's first day back. A first day back is different from a first day at something. With a first day, you're trying something new. With a first day back, you're trying to return to some semblance of your old life. Abacassis follows the story of Lucy Paquette, who served five years in prison for manslaughter. She's out now and trying to reclaim her life and come to terms with a crime she doesn't even remember. Tally Abacassis, welcome to The Big Listen. Hi, thanks for having me. So after the first season of First Day Back, when you were talking about your own sort of return after this extended maternity leave, you were casting about for um, for other sort of First Day Back stories. And I, I wonder how you landed on uh, the story that you're telling this season. Mm-hmm. Well, all I really knew was I wanted it to be really, really different. And I was actually really interested for some reason in an athlete um, mm-hmm. who is having a first day back from an athletic injury. Um, yeah. That for some reason, I've always been I've always thought that I, I wanted to do like a sports story. <laughs> um, and then prison was another one that I was thinking of. I, I was in the very early stages of following a woman coming out of prison and she got sent back to prison. Mm. Um, and then this woman um, came about and she, I just really liked her from the beginning. Lucy. And that was important to me because her story turned out to be really complicated and you could have very mixed feelings about her. So I know you told me that you met Jerry at work. Do you remember the first time you saw him? Oh, that's so funny. Yeah, actually it was in July. This is Lucy Peckett. And the Jerry we're talking about was her common-law husband, who died six years ago. Lucy used to work at a printing factory in Ontario in Canada. Every July, the employees would have a company-wide water fight. It was serious business. That morning, I could see, I could read the guy's lips. Like, I've got balloons in the car. We're going to throw, I'm there. Oh, really? Oh, those guys are going to get us, you know? I said, no way. So I asked a girl, let's go to Toys R Us. I'm going to get the biggest gun, you know, the water, the pumper thing. <laughs> I said, with the pack sack and everything. Lucy bought the water gun on her lunch break. For the rest of the day, she would spray people outside. The ship would leave and I would, you know, play with the gun and spray them. We had fun. We really had fun. Toward the end of the day, somebody told Lucy about a new guy working on the folders. That new guy was Jerry. So I start walking toward the folders. Then I turn around and I see somebody in the warehouse that I didn't know. So I'm pretty far and 
you know, I said, hey. So he turned around. I said, are you the new guy uh, working on the folder? He goes, yeah. And I had just pumped the, the water thing there. I said, welcome. And I started to spray him, but on his shoes, because I didn't want to spray his, you know, because he had to work. That was the first time we met. Wow, what a weird symbol. I guess I just think people will make a connection between the water gun and the real gun. Now that you mention it, I never uh, thought about that. Yeah, it's true. Eh? It's That's the way we met and that's the way we parted. Lucy Paquette and Jerry Madere were together for 13 years. They lived in rural Canada. People called them lovebirds. Until the fall of 2010, when she shot and killed him. The twist of the story is that she doesn't remember what happened. She killed her husband, but she has no memory of it. And when I first met her, I thought, oh, this isn't any good. We can't even get into the story because she doesn't even know what happened. Right, right. (laughs) Here's what Lucy remembers about the rest of the night. I remember telling Jerry that um, I was going to change because I had my PJs were not long pants. We were going to make a bonfire because we had a lot of branches. I started cooking. I had some hamburger helper. I called my mom. So I remember having the blankets in my hand. I know. I remember I'm outside. I remember seeing the fire. I mean, I said to um, Lucy starting out, like, I want to be there in good times, but I also want to be there in bad times. And I want to be able to just sit and kind of witness your life. And so you have to let me in. And I felt from her from the beginning that she was willing to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I also... Can I ask, I'm sorry to interrupt, but why do you think she was so willing to do that? Because it's it's further publicizing, you know, this crime that she committed. I know. And it was kind of puzzling to me at first, too. But I think that she felt like she never really got to explain herself. Mm -hmm. Everything that had happened, had happened in such a blur. And her she didn't go to trial, but she had a hearing and like all that stuff all happened in a real haze. And she doesn't she didn't necessarily feel like people knew what she thought. Mm -hmm. I had always thought that memory worked like the flight data recorder on an airplane, storing everything inside the black box even if it might be hard to find. If the brain was like that, those memories would be there somewhere. Lucy just has to try harder to access them. And I was trying to, like, not brainwash myself, but say, okay, Lucy, this is what happened. This is what happened, you know, try to remember. And um, I couldn't remember, and I said, maybe it's this, you know. I could have been doing this, you know, because this is what I was supposed to do. It's simple but devastating logic. If a memory is not stored, it cannot be retrieved. There's no airplane black box sitting at the bottom of the sea. Or put it another way, if there is, Lucy could swim for days to get to it. But when she opens it, there's nothing inside. When I listened to the first episode and you hear that, you know, she shot her husband, I'm thinking, 
oh, it's true crime, you know, and it so isn't. Oh, thank you for saying that. <laughs> no. <laughs> because I don't want it to be true crime, no, it, but you have to talk about the crime. But yeah, I mean, what was what made you stick with this story? I was so compelled by all the challenges of picking up her life after um, and how how does she move on? How does she even then just the logistics of her life where does she live after because she can't live in the house that she shared with her husband she's not allowed to go back there she has a ton of restrictions on her life Mm -hmm. also it was an accident an accident can happen to anybody right the rest of her life is completely messed up basically right well the entire course of her life meant to do yeah yeah exactly we all take risks in life um you know she was engaged in some risky behavior and i mean i've been in situations where i've driven I probably shouldn't say this, but I've driven too many kids in my car without the proper car seats Yeah, because we weren't going very far and it was just like, you know, everybody's in a good mood and it's just like too easy and nothing's going to happen. Yeah. Um, There are so many things that you do where you say nothing's going to happen. Yeah. And you take risks. I mean, it's like in an instant, everything could change. And most of the time, things are going to be fine. But the one time when things are not fine, like you are going to live with it for the rest of your life. That part of it really spoke to me. Like this could happen to me. I mean, yeah. we all we could all be Lucy. It, to me, that's what it that's what I felt like. Talia Bacassis is the creator of First Day Back from Scripps and Stitcher. To find out more about her show, check out BigListen.org. Now, remember our gal pals from the Lower East Side Girls Club? They're getting to learn a lot of the same production tips and tricks that Tally Abacassis had to learn. Before a recent interview for WGRL, 13-year-old Sydney set up some microphones for her friend Solia. Right now, I'm cool. uh, I'm just you, adjusting the mic. It doesn't like me, Sydney. At first, yeah. <laughs> I haven't so, it all. I don't like, know what I'm doing. Gentle. Not only were the girls in charge of setting up their own equipment, but they also served as WGRL's hosts. So are you going to talk into this mic? This is your mic. You're going to talk into this. Yes, I'm going to be talking to this mic. I'm the host, everyone. The guest they happened to be interviewing on this particular day was me, your favorite ginger radio host. And I'm a very tough interview, so they had their work cut out for them. Who inspired you to do what you do today? I don't know. That's a really good question. You know, I'm going to have to think about that a little bit more. Who inspires you? My aunt inspires me. Really? Why? I don't know. The only reason why I would say is because she got her master's degree. And that's like the only person in my family I know who got it. And like she works very hard. Yeah. So is is that what you're going to do? Get a master's degree? Yeah. Yeah? In what? I don't know yet. You don't know? What do you like to study? I like to do engineering, like radio station. I like that. I like that. Will you come work for me? Maybe. Okay. All right. <laughs> All right. Depends on what you're offering. Well, <laughs> I know I probably couldn't. Her agent. I, I probably couldn't afford you because you have so many skills now. I'm sorry. I'm interviewing you now. It's it's habit because that's what I do for a living. So it's weird to be on the other side of this. If you want to hear more of that interview, you'll just have to subscribe to WGRL. Also, if you want to hear Stretch and Bobito, NPR's newest podcast hosts. The WGRL kids have an exclusive. What's up, everybody? This is Stretch Armstrong. Papito Garcia, cool Bob Love. And you are tuned in to the number one station in Manhattan, WGRL. Bang, bang. L, L, L. Poof.
We're going to take a little break now, but when we come back, we'll talk with Tavi Gevinson, the media wunderkind behind the online magazine Rookie. I just want to create a place where there's room for nuance and complexity, and it's largely for and by teenagers. But first, we'll hear why mental illness can actually be pretty funny with the host of the show, The Hilarious World of Depression. It's like a toddler that has taken control of a car. It's petulant, it throws tantrums, it demands to be noticed, and it has no idea how to operate the vehicle. That's coming up in a quick sec. Stick around. This is NPR. Support for The Big Listen and the following message comes from The Black Tux. Dressing for a wedding or a fancy occasion is easy with blacktux.com. With sexy suits and tuxedos delivered to your door, the Black Tux gives you a new way to rent. Forget those bridal stores at the mall. The Black Tux's free home try-on lets you see the fit and feel the quality in your own home months before an event. To get free shipping both ways, plus a free home try-on, visit blacktux.com listen. Support for this podcast and the following message also comes from HelloFresh, the meal kit delivery service that makes cooking fun, easy, and convenient. They source the freshest ingredients measured to the exact quantities needed, and they provide step-by-step recipes for delicious meals designed to take 30 minutes to make. Everything is delivered in a special insulated box with free shipping, and meals are now less than $10 each. The Big Listen listeners can receive $30 off their first week of deliveries. Just visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code BIG30 on your first purchase. Hi, my name is Valerie Alexander. I'm from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Happy birthday, Lauren. My birthday was this month as well. And I love your podcast. I mean, absolutely love your podcast. I have gotten, I'm listening to at least 15 podcasts you told me about. And I wanted to tell you about Stephen Dubner's new podcast. He does Freakonomics, but he also does one called Something I Don't Know. My question is, if you wanted to be a British spy, but they wouldn't have you, how would you fake your way in? I couldn't possibly reveal my secrets. (laughs) It is hysterical. You will learn the most bizarre facts in the history of the world, and it's just fabulous. So again, I recommend Stephen Dubner's Tell Me Something I Don't Know. And thank you, Lauren, and hope you had a fabulous birthday. Thank you, thank you, thank you, and have a gorgeous day. Love you. Take care. Bye. Hey, pals. Welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I'd like to put you on the radio. Will you let me do that, please? All you have to do is call the pod line at 202-885-POD1 and leave a recommendation. We will do the rest. Now, if you or a loved one has ever struggled with mental illness, you'll know that as hard as it can be, there are also some occasional moments of levity. Moments so absurd, they just have to be laughed at. Do you think depression is funny? I think it's funny in the way that death is funny. And that it's not, but you cope with it by laughing. John Moe, host of The Hilarious World of Depression, understands that better than most. After years of interviewing comedians for his radio show Wits, Moe got to hear firsthand how some of his favorite comedians sometimes struggled to get out of bed for days. 
or were gripped by so much anxiety they couldn't leave the house, or often thought about ending their own lives. So Mo figured he'd tell these stories as a way to sort of humanize and demystify mental illness. Talking to Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, his marriage had fallen apart and the moment had come for the divorce. And then, to paraphrase President Lincoln, the war came. Hmm. And John Moe, welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you so much. All right, so at the beginning of all of your shows, you ask your guests, is depression funny? And I'm going to ask you that. Is depression funny? Oh, I think it's hilarious. Uh, <laughs> obviously, given the, the name of my show, I think it's ve- I think it's very funny because... It is so ridiculous. It's like a toddler that has taken control of a car. (laughs) It throws tantrums. It demands to be noticed. And it has no idea how to operate the vehicle, i.e. the brain or the self, that it's operating. And sure, it's going to plow into, you know, a community center and it's (laughs) going to be disastrous for all involved. But you can't help but admit that the situation is so ridiculous that that it is clearly comic. Yeah, yeah. It's also, I mean, a baby behind a wheel is kind of cute, you know? It's cute. It's, <laughs> it's, it's adorable. So what is your particular interest in depression? Well, I... When I was starting to think of this show, I kind of looked at what was in the pantry that I could cook for dinner, so to speak. And I've been obsessed with comedy from a very, very young age, like, you know, sneaking out to the living room to watch Saturday Night Live when I was like six. Mm-hmm. And since uh, since about middle school, I have been dealing with depression. And I didn't know that's what it was early on. Um, but I dealt with it for a long time to varying degrees of success before finally getting a diagnosis mm-hmm. and getting on a treatment plan. So it seemed like a, a natural joining together. And I was really motivated to, um, and I haven't talked about this on the show, but in 2007, my brother killed himself after mm-hmm. dealing with what we what we surmised to be an undiagnosed and certainly untreated depression. And I thought, well, if no one's going to talk about this Maybe I could talk about it and maybe more people could get some help. I'm not going to cure it, but maybe more people could get some help. And I thought, well, why not combine these two things and kind of uh, make the the pill of depression awareness, uh, put a little uh, chocolate coating around it with the sweet <laughs> taste of comedy. Right. You know, what, what would I rather download? If I'm, if I'm seeing a, a few different podcasts available and there's one with a – an academic expert giving me all the medical information possible about depression and what it does and the brain chemistry and all of that. Or this one over here has Maria Bamford. Right. <laughs> you know, I know which one I'm downloading, and I thought there'd probably be a lot of people out there like me. This was one of the first things Maria said in our interview. The odd thing is that um, I am on such a cocktail of delightful medications that I uh, have not felt depressed in about four years. Like, absolutely. And, and this is a revelation for me. That was great to hear because she has had a very long, very bumpy road. We'll back up to about 1979, 1980. Nine or ten, I started uh, writing in journals that I wanted to die and wanted to 
you know, kill myself. And <laughs> I'd leave them around the house as you do. And my mother would read them, honey, do you want, are you gay? That was her main concern. Was I gay? Seems like an odd go-to, but I guess. No, I, I, I think it's messy and people don't like to talk about it. And the problem is when they don't talk about it, people die. Right. And it's funny that the people have written in and say, I can't believe you're talking about this so openly. And mm-hmm. I, I was talking with my producer and we said, we've been going into work and concentrating on it for a full work day every day for months. So we forget that it's taboo. Right. Um, because it's just a day at the office for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, feel, I feel like when I was when I was listening to your show, I kept thinking like, I don't know if I know anyone who isn't depressed. <laughs> and, it, and it's particularly common in comedy. I guess it was, what was it, Mark Twain who said humor is tragedy plus time. And right, right. I, I mean, is that your sort of sense that, like, there's um, an abundance of depression in comedy? I, certainly in, in comedy, I think there is. And I've asked comedians about this, and I've had people say, well, no, there's – it's just that in our profession, we get to talk about it. There aren't any more comedians with depression right. than any other line of work. It's just that if, you're, if your dentist was talking about suicidal <laughs> ideation at work, <laughs> it would be a little less acceptable. What, one thing that I thought was interesting is all the different ways that depression manifested itself in different folks. So, you know, one of the comedians, Sarah Benincasa, she wasn't eating because she couldn't leave her house. I eventually became so uh, afraid to leave the house. Not only, I mean, agoraphobia is like painting yourself into a corner. And then eventually when the fear keeps happening in that corner, then you don't know what to do and you become fatigued. A lot of people with agoraphobia become very tired of how they feel. And so for me, the desire for suicide became this like ceaseless drumbeat. I lost a bunch of weight and that's not good because you're not eating. Uh, I, I didn't do it in a healthy way. So when you're not eating, it's interesting, and it goes back to, I think, what you're saying is so, like, there's this massive umbrella of, of depression, and, I mean, name your symptom, and it falls in that under that umbrella. Yeah. One trend that I thought was really interesting is people who had severe bouts of depression at uh, the highest point in their professional career, mm-hmm. like uh, Bill Corbett from Mystery Science Theater 3000. Uh, had a similar experience. He was uh, on a press tour with that show. They were going to be interviewed at the Museum of Broadcasting and like yeah. place their their name on the Mount Rushmore of broadcasting. And he couldn't go. He couldn't, he couldn't it, get yeah. out of his room. Bill Corbett is a writer and comedian known for his work on Mystery Science Theater 3000, where he was the voice of a robot puppet that made fun of terrible movies with his friends. Back in the 90s, the show was a huge hit. So why do you think at this pinnacle of of your career to that point uh, that this happened? Like why? I mean, when things like you said, uh, what better job could you have had and what yeah. more success could you be having? Yeah, I don't. Here's I think it is the momentum of the ambition and the striving all those years of trying to get stuff going. It was such an organizing principle for life for so many years that that when it when that was sort of met, <laughs> at least for the time being, I had to deal with whatever what I wasn't dealing with for all that time, which sounds very pop psychology. But I think there's some truth to it. Like, all right, now you're here. Now, this is the thing you thought was going to make you extremely happy. And 
It's not quite there, is it? Have you ever met any comedians who don't struggle with... <laughs> who are fine. <laughs> who are fine. <laughs> and, well, and also, then, how did you land on the comedians that you did? Is it all because they, you know, they talk about their mental health and their acts? Yeah. Um, in some cases, I mean, t- to answer the first part of the question, yes, I know lots of comedians who, who don't struggle with this at all. Um, and I know that because I... They're often comedians who I know, mm-hmm. who I reached out to and said, "Hey, is this? Does this sound like you?" And they're like, "Oh no, I, you know, I've dodged that bullet." Yeah. The most interesting case though was was Peter Sagal, mm-hmm. uh, who's the host of Wait Wait. Don't tell me. And he approached me at this party and said, "Hey, I want to be on your show." And I had no idea. I'd known Peter for years, and I'm like, "Really? In what capacity?" Right. <laughs> he said, "Now I've heard of your show. I want to do it. I want to come out of the closet. I want to talk about this for the first time in my life to someone who isn't a a, a doctor." Mm-hmm. At no point ever, ever uh, in my life did my parents or any other um, person, any other person of authority, or myself ever say. You seem to have a, a kind of a problem. You seem to have, you seem to like have difficulty getting along, or you're sad some of the times, or you know you just come home and you sit in your room and where are your friends and so on and so forth. And 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 partially that was because I was a very high functioning guy as a kid. In the words of my mother, I was very bright, so I was able. I got good grades. So I'm hoping that we can we can get more stories like that of of people kind of coming out and talking about it for the first time mm-hmm. and sort of breaking that taboo live on tape. John Moe is the host of the hilarious world of depression from American Public Media. If you struggle with mental illness and need help, visit makeitok.org. To find out more about Moe's show, check out biglisten.org. It's almost time for another break, but before we scoot on out of here, we have a new segment alert. Watch out, folks. We're calling our new featurette... Wait, 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 wait. What? Have you ever happened upon a podcast and thought to yourself, wait, what? This is a podcast? How simultaneously random and delightful. Well, you're not alone. We have two. So we wanted to showcase some of the more offbeat shows of the podcast universe. Our guide for Wait What will be our producer, Ponzi Rutch. Hey, Ponzi. Hey, Lauren. Okay, so what do you got for me? So this week I picked a podcast from this guy named Jay Jenkins. Um, And he, if you've ever looked at one of those light pollution maps of the entire country where like the East Coast is super bright and the West Coast is super bright and then there's just this big dark patch in the middle where there's Uh nobody, he lives in the big dark patch in the middle. (laughs) I just sort of like my space. I, I mean, it's weird. I like people, but the um, it's okay. What's his name? George Jay, Jenkins. <laughs> Jay Jenkins. Jay Jenkins. Jay Jenkins. He lives in the middle of the country, right in Cherry County, Nebraska. Okay. We have the most mother cows of any county in the nation, by far, by over a third more cows than the next largest cow county in the nation. What? <laughs> it's a lot. What? It's a lot of cows, right? Um, so if you were an academic. And you're surrounded by cows. What would you call your podcast, Lauren? Oh wait, okay. So he's an academic. Yeah, and he has a podcast. Yeah, I would call it M- Moo Town, Moo Time. <laughs> Hi, I'm Jay Jenkins, Nebraska Extension Beef Systems Educator, bringing you the Beef Watch podcast. This is the audio. Oh, Beef Watch. Yeah. Well, so wait, why? 
Why does Jay Jenkins of the University of Nebraska at Lincoln have this Beef Watch podcast? The reason why a podcast is because he's trying to reach farmers. Mm -hmm. It's kind of hard to read a blog while you're driving down the road or riding around the field in the tractor. So what is his listenership like? It's small. (laughs) (laughs) He unabashedly told me that it was tiny, and I I respect him for that. Like 15, 50? Um, Got a university professor that listens. So that's one. (laughs) Just one. Uh, (laughs) Large commercial rancher. There's two. One, two, two. Who listens regularly. A small... Okay, so uh, Jay Jenkins' Beef Watch has about three to four... Listeners, the average episode gets about 150. Hey, you know what? It's not bad. He is serving. He is serving a population in a very clever way, thinking that he has a captive audience sitting in a tractor, right. and this seems like a great way to provide them with some knowledge about how to make some more cash out of uh, out of their cows. Well, and people are reaching out to him too, which I feel like is a very demonstrable, engaged audience right there. Yeah. But- I think one of the reasons why his audience is so small also is that he doesn't seem to be the best at self-promotion because I asked him if his family was listening to his podcast. You know, that's the weird thing. I'm not even sure they know that I'm doing a podcast. I should at least tell them. Wait, what? Wait, what? If you stumble across a weird and wacky podcast in your travels, let us know about it. Tweet us at HearBigListen, that's H-E-A-R, Big Listen, or drop us a line at BigListen at WAMU.org. We're going to take a tiny break right now, but when we come back, we'll catch up with the young media entrepreneur, Tavi Gevinson, about some of her podcast guilty pleasures. I love This Week Had Me Like. Mm-hmm. It's like um, bizarre celebrity news. So uh-huh. it'll be like a random reality star's like line of paper towels or something. <laughs> like it's really... Um, I buy those. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Only. Only. Exclusively. That's coming up next here on The Big Listen. Don't go anywhere. This is NPR. Summer movie season gets louder and longer every year. I'm Linda Holmes. For a guide through the blockbusters you know about and the surprise bright spots you might not, Pop Culture Happy Hour has you covered. We'll tell you what we're looking forward to, what we're secretly dreading, and what might just sneak up on all of us. Find Pop Culture Happy Hour on the NPR One app or wherever you get podcasts. Hi, this is uh, Andre in Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm calling to recommend uh, The Weekly Planet, an Australian podcast about movies and comic books and such. Halle Berry's in it, Jeff Bridges is in this. Oh, he's the other statesman then. Yeah, Yeah, okay, that makes sense. Uh I think that they're going to statesman and... Being like, you gotta help us because our Kingsman, because it looks like their headquarters have been destroyed. Yeah, exactly. In the tailor shop. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm thinking... Colin Firth has been holed up in America for right. some reason. Do you think he's got amnesia or something? Oh, maybe. See, that's the thing. That, yeah, think of a classic spy trope. Maybe he's got a twin. Maybe he's got a twin. I don't know. And it's done by two funny fellows uh, in a quite an irreverent and uh, wonderful style. But it's very good. The Weekly Planet. Uh, thank you very much. 
Hey, pals, welcome back to The Big Listen. I'm Lauren Ober, and I know that there is no good reason why you haven't called the pod line yet with your podcast recommendation. So call us, 202-885-POD1. No excuses. All right, friends, it's that time again. We call it Listen Up, and it's the part of the show where we grill some pretty cool folks about what podcasts they are into these days. And today, we are hanging out with Tavi Gevinson, writer, actor, soon-to-be media mogul. She's the founder of Rookie, an online magazine for teenage girls and people who used to be teenage girls. Gevinson founded the site when she was just 15. What was I doing when I was 15? Failing driver's ed and getting mediocre grades, I'm pretty sure. Anyway... Rookie the Magazine has now given way to Rookie the Podcast, which Gevinson hosts. She pulls in guests like Olympic fencer Ibtihaj Mohammed, Pulitzer Prize winner Hilton Alls, and Pride of the 90s Winona Ryder. Winona Ryder is best known for her roles in Beetlejuice, Heathers, Edward Scissorhands, Girl Interrupted, and most recently the sci-fi horror series Stranger Things. But also, it felt so silly saying all of that because she needs no introduction. Tavi Evanson, host of Rookie. Welcome to The Big Listen. Thank you so much. Okay, so this might shock you to know this, but we don't have a lot of teenagers or very young adults in our national public radio uh, demographic. And so I'm wondering if you can maybe give us a little overview of Rookie Magazine, which you founded, and sort of its origin story just for the... Um, the older folks who might not be aware. Oh, sure. Um, <laughs> well, when I was in middle school, I started a fashion blog where I just wrote about fashion and then whatever I was interested in. And once I was in high school, I felt like I had found a community of other bloggers and writers and photographers and really creative girls around my age uh, who didn't really have like a, an official community. And um historically the relationship a teenager has to society is just as a consumer Mm. like you can't vote you're a student you most likely don't have a job with a lot of power Mm -hmm. if you have a job at all and now with the internet that's changed a lot and um there weren't many teen magazines that felt sort of to me honest or authentic or written by actual other teenagers who were going through all this stuff at the same time that i was So I started Rookie Magazine, uh, an online magazine and book series and now podcast. Um, It's largely for and by teenagers, but also a lot of rad adults work on it and read it. (laughs) Yeah, that was in 2011. So now it's like five and a half years old. Do people sort of marvel at what you have been able to create in that we should say what you're you're going on 21? Mm-hmm. Right. Because I, I would imagine that you would get that all the time, that people would be like, I can't believe you did all this and you've created this and you've become this and you're only 20. Um, do you get that a lot? I guess. <laughs> I mean, I don't really talk that much to people other than like my five friends. Right. But yeah. <laughs> right. Naturally. Um, what was the motivation for the podcast? Because it's new. Were you hearing from your readers that that was something they wanted? Yeah. So our readers have been asking for a podcast for a really long time. Mm -hmm. And I listen to a lot of them. And I think it's nice for our readers to hear from someone like Lord, but not through the eyes of like a 
New York Times critic or, or whatever. So, <laughs> right, or like the 45-year-old man who was sent to go interview her. Our first guest on the Rookie podcast is Ella Yelish O'Connor, but you probably know her as Lord. Ella put out her first studio record in the fall of 2013. It was called Pure Heroin. Uh, for many of you, this is not new information. It was a huge success. It was nominated for a Grammy. The song Royals made her the youngest solo performer to have a song at the top of the Billboard 100 since Tiffany in 1987. Hey, Ella. Hi, Tabby. <laughs> <laughs> this is really funny. Yeah, like, are you ever like, call me Lord to people I in life? I am not ever. <laughs> I, I haven't gotten to that. It still feels a little bit like when someone calls me Lord they don't know me or they aren't. I'm like, you don't know me. You know right. that person. Now, what I was wondering, because I don't, I know a lot of young, young people like toddlers <laughs> and like elementary age children. I do not know many teenagers and I don't know if they actually listen to podcasts. My sense is that they listen to ours, some of them? I don't know. <laughs> Good answer. I, Good answer. They listen to all ours. All of them do. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I guess, like, our readers are very faithful and they'll follow us wherever it mm-hmm. seems. And, you know, the most I can hope for is, like, I hope this makes your day a little better. Yeah. I can tell you that... Um, that the Ask a Grown segment with Hilton Owls definitely made my train ride up here yes. um, better. Are my parents right? Should I not waste my intelligence? Do you think I'm just being too lazy and giving up on science because it's hard? How do I tell my parents? Should I even care about how much money I'll earn if it's a job I'll actually enjoy? Please help me. Yes. Um, okay. <laughs> Dear help. Um <laughs> I think that I think um, it's too late, and you're already an artist because you're asking all the questions mm. of an artist, which includes, you know, who am I? Mm. What do other people think of me? Mm. I don't care what other people think of me. I, I, you have to do the work. Life is very short and very fast and long at the same time, and there is no living with yourself. It's like getting the wrong boyfriend. And also the. Um, the life you had a life skills segment with a young woman who was giving tips on how to ask a stranger out yeah hi my name is krista burton and i live in minneapolis today on life skills how to ask out a stranger so let's say you notice a cute new person working behind the counter at your regular coffee shop or you see a cool somebody or other at a library or a concert or a museum or a restaurant. This person is in your line of vision and suddenly it's like, bam! All of your your radiant energy is directed like a laser beam on this person who you don't even know. And you're like, oh my God, now I know what perfection All you have to like. do is take out a piece of paper and write... By the way, her she's way better at explaining it, but <laughs> take out a piece of paper and write down, like, hi, I'm um, Tavi. I was in the T-shirt and jeans and I have blonde hair. And this is my number if you ever want to hang out. Fold it up and go up to someone and say hi and even. hand it to them <laughs> and then be like, I have to go. Because then you're not waiting right. for their answer. You're right. not putting pressure on them. You fly on out of there. Yeah, you disappear. And I was like, I need to meet this woman Mm -hmm. who has has such moxie that she's (laughs) going to just drop her name 
on the table of a total stranger in a cafe and be like, call me, you know. Then you disappear. Then you don't have to deal with it. I do think it, it resonates a lot. I mean, you know, the issues that we deal with perhaps when we're teenagers continue to dog us into adulthood, which seems depressing. Yeah, but it's not. I mean, I we, we don't really get adults saying like, oh, this brings me back to how great high school was. <laughs> it's more like, oh, I'm still thinking about this or, or dealing with this. And when we say Roki is about the human experience through a teenage lens, uh, we're talking about how many readers we have who don't really outgrow it. They just grow with it mm-hmm. or who say, oh, I am in my 30s, 40s, 50s, and I read Rookie all the time because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'm still dealing with this stuff. Yeah. You mentioned in the first episode that um, podcasts taught you how to be a human. Mm. Uh, I would like to know more about that. I would like to learn how to be a human. Mm -hmm. I need to listen to those shows that you were (laughs) listening to, clearly. Off the top of my head, well, I love Ron and Beverly. Podcasts will keep us together. What? I'm doing Captain Chanel, Rana. Well, that's very interesting because that's our live stage. Have you ever, that's very funny. I've never done I it. love This Week Had Me Like. This week had me like. Mm-hmm. It's like um, bizarre celebrity news. So uh-huh. it'll be like um, a random reality star's like line of paper towels or something. <laughs> like it's really. Um, I buy those. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> this, I'm not even, that's a real example from it. As we've covered on the podcast before, pa- celebrity paper towel partnerships are now a passion of mine. <laughs> and you'd think this would be the first one, but no, a couple of weeks ago on the podcast, we discussed. Well, okay, these, I did that annoying thing where I synced my phone to my computer and then a lot of them went away. But I know, okay, I like another round <laughs> mm-hmm. with Heaven and Tracy. Right, you had them on the show as yes. guests. So we have Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw in the stud. Is this the one and only Kimberly Crenshaw, a.k.a. the coiner of the term intersectionality that is all over everybody's Twitter streams right the now? The coiner of the term intersectionality. Wow. Not just the right. coiner, the thinker. Yeah. Lightweight, well-versed in critical legal theory. I mean, just like, imagine putting that on your resume. <laughs> Can you imagine? You know that word? Yeah. It's That's me. all me. That's me. all me. Also, I can type 95 <laughs> words a minute. Do I, have I try to get into crime ones, and then I'm just like, why am I doing this? Right. I listened to Sword and Scale for a little bit, yeah. and then I was like, I'm just too fragile. <laughs> Listener discretion is advised. Philip Chisholm had a box cutter. Philip Chisholm wanted to use that box cutter. Well, real life is scary enough. Exactly. I feel like... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Tavi Gibbonson, host of Rookie, thank you so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me. Tavi Gibbonson is the host of Rookie from Rookie Magazine and MTV. To find out more about any of the podcasts she recommended, hit up biglisten.org. It's got all the details. Well, we have almost reached the end of this week's episode. Oh, so sad. Before we let you go, it is time for Chartography. Chartography is our 60-second mapping of the iTunes charts. But we're not looking at number one or even number 100. We're looking at number 289. And seriously, there are about a bazillion podcasts. So 289 is pretty great. Okay, so this week's 289 is a show called 
Chapo. It's Chapo. 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 It's this week's Chapo. Chapo Trap House. Chapo, let's go. I could not for the life of me figure out what this podcast was about because for one, there was no description whatsoever in iTunes. So I went back to the very beginning. They have about 100 episodes and I went back to episode one, which is from uh, 2016. And in that, the three guys who are hosting it, Felix Biederman, Matt Christman, and Will Menneker. It's me. Will Menneker. They said that it was a free-flowing sort of live wire look. Or a sideways glance at the week's news and pop culture, whatever that means. I don't know. Um, I had to look up <laughs> I had to look up the show on Wikipedia to find out what it was. Um, but it did say that it had a cult following. Ring ring, ring ring. Uh hello? Yes, hello. I- I'm sorry. Who, May I speak to Mr. Chapo, please? <laughs> there was somebody on there who did the most magical impersonation of Sebastian Gorka. Mr. Chapo Traphouse, this is Sebastian Gorka. President Trump's advisor on national security issues. Wait, wait, S- Sebastian, are, are you calling from the White House? I, I, can't, I can't disclose the location where I am, but yes, I will put it this way. I am dressed in a sort of felt blue tourist come this way, don't touch that sort of uniform. And I'm here with the president's special counsel of whatever it is. Anyway, um, if you like absurdist humor that has uh, a political bent to it, Chapo Trap House. I don't know. Or you could get drugs there. Who knows? You want to listen to The Big Listen on the go? Well, you can. You just go to iTunes or NPR One or any fine purveyor of podcasts and hit subscribe. Then we will be crashing into your feed every week automatically. No assembly required. As always, we love us some listener feedback. So please like us on Facebook and or follow us on Twitter. We're at Hear Big Listen. That's H-E-A-R Big Listen. So follow us. We have so many things going on. If you want to send love notes, our electronic mail address is biglisten at wamu.org. A huge welcome to our new best friends, the listeners of South Carolina Public Radio. We're really happy that The Big Listen is going to be in the Palmetto State. The show today was produced, mixed, and edited by Jacob Fenston and Ponzi Rutch. I, Lauren Ober, was wondering what the next 100 days will be like. David Schulman composed the theme music. Other music in the show came from Army-Navy, the band, not the store. The Big Listen is the brainchild of boss lady Andy McDaniel and her boss man J.J. Yore and is produced by WAMU and distributed by NPR in Washington, D.C., capital of America. And now a few final thoughts from Kelly Webb about WGRL, the podcast made by the girls of the Lower East Side Girls Club in New York City. So as young women in the world, we're we're so often taught to silence ourselves and just go along with the flow and and not make a fuss. Uh, And, you know, we're the nurturers of this world and we need to support. Um, But I really want our girls, whether they become journalists or not, to be able to speak out and to ask those questions that might be tough to ask and really have a voice and be able to advocate for themselves in no matter what situation they find themselves in in life. We'll leave you with some last-minute advice from Jeannie Hopper, which we all could use, not just folks behind the mic. I want you all to try to sit up, have good posture, even though it's radio. And what do we do? We smile, right? Smile, and your energy and your voice will change. Till next time, keep listening, America. This is NPR.
the podcast is over. You need to get out of here. But before you scoot, how's about you go leave us a review on iTunes and let everyone know what you think of the show. It would really help other very attractive listeners such as yourselves find the show. Thanks so much.